alone. Bring it back. Hey, this is Travis Ford, and you are listening to the Endurance Town USA podcast, brought to you by our friends at Race Roster. Today, we are very excited to interview a guy who is known across the endurance space for multiple reasons, one of which is a professional photographer famously known for documenting the Tarahumara runners of Born to Run, the Western States 100 race, and literally thousands of world-class images of epic races and outdoor adventure athletes. He's also known as an athlete in his own right, with over 30 100-mile races, five Badwater finishes, the Tahoe 200, and currently training for the Hard Rock 100. He's also known as a race director for All We Do Is Run, the Born to Run Weekend, Red Rock 50, Nine Trails, La Cuesta, and new this fall, Back on the Ranch. We are, of course, talking about Luis Escobar, fellow race director and longtime friend of Samantha Pruitt. We met up with Luis in his Reflections Photography Studio in Santa Maria, California, and Sam's going to take it from here. We're going to get to know the man behind the mask, the man who is the face behind the race. I'd like to know a little bit about you growing up in the Central Coast. So where were you born? My parents have an old craftsman-style home in the center of Atascadero, and my father is a photographer, and so I grew up in a photography studio. And tell me, at what point in your life did you actually discover running? Um, in my uh, early 20s, I was playing a lot of tennis here in Santa Maria at Hancock College, and uh, I thought that running would be a good way to get in shape, to be a better tennis player. So I used to live over here on Donovan Street and with my family and my wife and my kids. And I used to just run around the block. And then I would run around two blocks. And it was just uh, in interesting and intriguing to me. And then I quickly realized that I was not a good tennis player. And I was really meant to be a long-distance runner. I, could, I never was really able to run fast. Mm. But I really liked the idea of running far and seeing literally how far I could, I could go. And then at one point, I guess it was 1984 or 85, somewhere around there, my brother-in-law said, hey, let's run the Los Angeles Marathon. And I had no idea what that was. I didn't know anything about distance running and marathon didn't, make any, didn't mean anything to me. So we went to Big Five and we got paper applications. They were there on the counter for the Los Angeles Marathon. We filled them out, sent them in with our entry fee. For the check in with the mail. The check in the mail. <laughs> and then um, that March, we went to Los Angeles. I, I had, in, in January, I ran my very first race. It was a 5K around Atascadero Lake. And then that was, that was it. That was my first That race. was your training for the marathon. It wasn't my training, but it was my very first <laughs> race. And then we ran some miles together. I, we had really no idea what we were doing. And then we showed up to the Los Angeles Marathon. It was the second LA Marathon. I remember that. And um, we did it, and it was 26 miles, and I had no idea that it was going to be as hard as it was and as challenging as it was. And I remember finally finishing. Four hours and six minutes was my first time, and I just remember just laying there. Uh, I'd never felt like that before. I was in so much discomfort, and um, I, I was certain that I would never do anything like that again. But it didn't take very long to start thinking, gosh, if I change this or if I change that, maybe if I actually ran beforehand and, and got in some sort of shape, maybe I could do this. And then uh, so my brother-in-law and I, we spent the next year training, thinking that we were training, running as much as possible. Went back the next year, completed the Los Angeles Marathon again. And I'm kind of obsessive, right? So I think that I finished it uh, 11 or 12 times in Wow. A row. I missed 
many of them. Wow. <laughs> it was really silly. And then, yeah, during that period of time, that, that 10, 12 years, I was just uh, meeting more and more people here in the Santa Maria Valley that were into distance running, and they started teaching me and coaching me and taking me to different races. I have a good friend here. His name is Gary Silva, and he was a few years older than me, and he was a great runner. And uh, with him, I was able to travel to different races. We went to Big Sur several times. We went to St. George, Utah, and Las Vegas, and I really learned how to run and race, hanging out with those guys. So I also remember that you dabbled possibly in triathlon and other sports. Is this Yeah, correct? I did. I did. Is this just Yeah, fallacy? I did a bunch of, well, I wouldn't say a bunch. I, I did the San Luis Obispo triathlon, which was like swimming back and forth in the pool and running around. <laughs> I did the Morro Bay, what was it, the Harvest Festival. did that a few times. There was another one called the Sea Venture triathlon that started at Pismo. We swam out around the pier, I guess it was, and then uh, rode out Price Canyon and back and then ran on the beach. And during those triathlon years, uh, I, I was not a strong cyclist. And I could swim okay, um, but I couldn't wait to get off the bike because I knew I would kick all these guys' asses if I could just get <laughs> off this fucking bike. I could beat these guys. And that's exactly um, how it was. So I was really excited to, to, to run, get off the bike and run. Hey, at what point did you become a coach, cross-country in particular, I know about, but other athletes as well? Well, so, yeah, I coached high school cross-country for nine years at Rigetti High School and six years at St. Joseph High School. And how that happened is I'm a photographer, so I would be, I knew all these kids because I was doing senior portraits at the time, graduation portraits, and photographing the teams. Mm, and I was right. interested in running, and I would go to the schools. I know some of these kids. I know their parents. Maybe I ran with their parents. And then it just happened that the coach at Rigetti High School um, moved uh, to, he got a new position at Hancock College. So the, the, the job at Rigetti was open. And uh, I went down there and I talked to the athletic director and said, hey, I, you know, maybe I could coach high school cross country. And he said, no, we're looking for somebody that's a teacher on campus. And I thought, oh, okay, whatever. And then a couple of weeks later, um, he called and said, look, our, we have a coach. He's going to be here, but he's not here yet. It's going to be maybe two weeks. Can you just come and, and just babysit, basically, for, for two weeks? Be here at 3 o'clock, 3 to 5, we'll, we'll pay you a little bit or whatever, and there's 12 kids on the team, and just go run with them. Okay, that sounds fun. So I knew some of the kids. So I went down there, and I did that for two weeks, and that turned into three weeks, and then four weeks. The coach never came, and I was the varsity cross-country coach at, at Rigetti High School. And a year turned into two, and then three, and then 15. Wow. And so how I started co coaching or helping adults was through high school. So some of their parents would say, I, I like to run too. Can I run with you? Or can, we, you, know, can you give me some advice or you know, spend some time with me? Mm -hmm. And I, absolutely. And so I did a little bit of that. And then I was really passionate about being in the gym. And I had some friends there that were teaching me. And so it was just a natural progression to start bringing the high school students into the gym and then their parents and then um, other people. And um, so I worked in a gym in the mornings for about seven years. And that was a good period of time too. I learned a lot and I think that I shared a lot with people. I, I hope it was a good experience for everybody. I think it was. Well, when you were coaching, what do you feel you learned from the kids? What did they teach you? When I was in high school, I was not a good student and I was not an athlete. I was the, the kid out in the parking lot with those kids. <laughs> And so I didn't really appreciate um, what it took to be a good student. And so 
high school cross country, not just at Rigetti or St. Joe, high school cross country across the world, those students are very interesting and, and brilliant kids. Um, nobody comes out to watch cross country. They're not there because to prove anything to anybody else. There's, it's not a football game. It's not There's glamorous. No, no one comes to watch it. They do it because there's something inside of them. They have some kind of drive. Um, cross country is a very, very difficult sport. It's physically and mentally and emotionally challenging. Unlike baseball, there's no dugout to hide in. Um, unlike soccer, there's no bench to sit on. There's no sideline. When it's time to go, it's time to go. And you're out there and you're exposed. You're on the field and everybody sees you. And when it's over, your name is on a list and it tells you where you, where, who where you are, rank. Where, yeah. you, where you belong. And um, so I guess what, what they taught me is these kids are great students. They're college-bound students. The, most of the cross-country teams have the highest grade point averages of all the teams on campus. Um, and then they're driven athletes. Mm-hmm. So it just taught me how to be a quality person. Just watching these kids excel in school and in this really demanding sport, it, it, it teaches me that, um, well, it just, it just exposed me to a, a different culture, a yeah. different community that yeah. I was never exposed to. And so, it, I don't know if it taught me anything. It was just a, just a wonderful experience to be around these, these kind of kids. Uh, kids, you know, I wasn't that guy. I was the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a D in photography. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, that really uh, played out well, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see my photography teacher, <laughs> Mr. Comez, gave me a D. But I would have given myself a D, too, because what I was doing in the darkroom was not processing. Oh, right. You know, I, was not, I was not a good student. It was exposure of a different, of a different uh, kind. I was just uh, <laughs> experimenting with bad stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned also strength coach. So I know you uh, personally mm-hmm. in that arena. You yeah. were actually my first strength coach when I yeah. was becoming an ultra athlete, however many years ago that was. And you taught me a lot of stuff, actually. And one of the things that you taught me to this day that really um, is super powerful is to embrace strength, heavy lifting, even though I'm an endurance athlete and a runner, that lifting weights and being strong is a good thing. It's not something to be afraid of. So strength training for you and working in a space where you're coaching people, like for you, what does that mean? Why, why are you giving back in that way to others? Why do I do that? Yeah. Why do I want to yeah. share with That's right. people? Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, I, I learned a long time ago that, this because you sound corny, but this is true. I think about this a lot and I believe this, that the, the best gift that we have to give to one another. And that's really all we have to do is share with each other, right? Mm-hmm. The best gift, the most valuable thing that, that you can do for me, Samantha, what you can do for me is give me an opportunity. That's what I think. And honestly, I, if I can just share my experience, I know that I'm lucky. I know that I get to go to beautiful places and interact with a lot of amazing people. My camera has taken me all around the world and my running has taken me all around the world and I know that's that's not common. And so if I can just talk with people and mm-hmm. if that makes people excited to do things, um, then, then that's what I want. And if it creates an opportunity for you, run with it, literally run with it. You are mentioning uh, photography mm-hmm. and photographing races all over the globe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we talked about some of them, Western States 100, 
um, survival run Nicaragua, Scott Jurek's Appalachian Trail record. So all of these experiences that you've had with athletes and with yourself being in these places, how has that transformed you as a human? Just being witness and being part of those really, really life-changing experiences. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been a fly on the wall for a lot of iconic moments in long-distance running over the last 20 years. And to be there on the sidelines and watch it happen and, and to document it and share that with the world, um, it's a great experience for me. And yeah, watching people like Scott on the Appalachian Trail, watching what he went through, what he put himself through was amazing. And if anything, that taught me that anything is possible. Um, how many I, days and how many miles? It took him, it was 46 days, and the distance, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, 2,862 miles, something like that. 2,800 and something miles, 46 days continuous. Um, that's an average of almost 50 miles a day. And... Um, through the Appalachian Trail, and that's not Johnson Ranch. It's <laughs> extremely technical and challenging, and the weather was intense. And to watch this guy uh, just grind it out day after day after day after day after day. After was, month. Uh, yeah, was, mm -hmm. was amazing. And uh, I have stood by and watched Scott do a lot of amazing things, and, but that was a trip. <laughs> and uh, so well, what has that taught me that um, if, A, that even champions like that are humans I saw him on the ground I saw him on his hands and knees I saw him um, suffering just like anybody else but then when he was down literally on the ground I saw him get up and shake it off and put his nose into the wind and kept on going and he yeah. would do that till he couldn't do it anymore and then he would fall down and you get up and you do it again for 46 days. It was a pretty amazing thing to watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's affected you as an athlete as well in your own performance. Bad water five times. And why in the hell would you ever do it self-supported twice? Like, Well, it wasn't actually self-supported. There's different ways, you know. So self-supported means that you carry everything on your body or you're pulling it on a cart by yourself. So no zero support. Um... That's not what I did. I did what's called aided. So what this is, it's not the race. So there was, I, I, we were not, uh, we were not in the race. It was a friend of mine, two of us, Mauricio, myself, and my pickup truck, a couple of friends <laughs> driving it with food and water. And yeah, we ran from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere to the highest point in the contiguous 48 states. And um, it was amazing. Running in the desert uh, like that, crossing the desert, um, really changes the way that you think. Um, when you complete that and you're standing on the top of Mount Whitney, there's no cheering, there's no saying that I'm a badass and I just whip the shit out of Death Valley and look at me and, and it's not that at all. You get up there and you just turn around and then you <laughs> run back down. It's uh, a very, yep. very humbling experience. Mm. Um, and I like that about it. I like that about it. And so all of the, the big runs that I've done um, are humbling, really. So uh, I would consider you a very non-traditional race director. By design. 
Correct. Mm-hmm. And I go out of my way <laughs> to make my events the exact opposite of many of the events that I participate in and that I see. And I've done many of your races, mm-hmm. and so have a lot of people I, I know. Mm-hmm. And we, we're drawn to them mm-hmm. for that reason. I want to know what that's about and how you evolved as a race director in, in, in the first place. In, in, in the early 1990s, when I was first introduced to trail running, it was a lot different than it is now. The sport was, certainly it was established. I'm not saying I was there at the beginning. I wasn't. But in the 90s, it was a heck of a lot different than it is now. There were maybe 8 to 10 100-milers in the country. Now I think there's 150. They're everywhere. Um, Back then, I remember getting in my truck and driving uh, to wherever, Grass Valley, way far away from here, and running the Nugget 50, 50 50-miler. And you get there, and the race director is some crazy eccentric guy. There's no real structure to anything. We're, we're sleeping under the stars, just laying on a sleeping bag in the middle of the Sierras, and get up in the morning, and he would scratch a line on the ground with his heel and say, this is the starting line. And he'd say, wait, no, it's not. And he'd buff it out, <laughs> and he'd walk over there, and he'd put another line on the ground. This is the starting line. And then you're going to go run this course, and they would describe it to you, and you'd go run it, and you would get lost. There was not enough food. There was not enough water. It was dangerous. It was unstructured. You'd make it back, and hopefully. And no bibs, no chips. None of that. And you'd get back, and, um, you know, like, hey, do I get a T-shirt? And the guy would be like, get the hell out of here, you know. And, <laughs> and then you'd spend the night there, make a campfire, and drink some beers, and hang out with your friends, and then tell lies about the run, and... <laughs> And then do it again next month. And that's what I remember. That's the way it was when I was new to it. Maybe it was just my impression of it. I don't know. And so, again, just share my experiences with people. So we've created a series of run, running events that are that. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have fancy things on purpose. We don't have maps. We don't have course profiles we discourage Garmin watches and being on Strava. And I know I'm saying all this stuff, and it's just going to turn people off, and that's fine. Um, don't come. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay with that. I'm okay with that. We probably say – I used to say no more than I said yes to people coming. Um, but – and I'm not trying to make it out like there's some kind of crazy badass thing. It's not. It's not that. It's just I want it to be organic and small and funky and fun and non-corporate and just friends having fun running, making running what it was to me back at that time. We didn't have GPS watches. I do now, but we didn't have them at the time. And so it was a lot different, a lot different deal. I saw a course map at one race. Well, I'll tell you. Handwritten. It, so it was a piece of cardboard uh, with your Sharpie pen, right. basically running circles right. with a few little, uh, you know, markers. Right. right. I, I like to draw the course map on the ground. <laughs> so helpful. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think it's, it's just a different experience. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. There's Correct. nothing wrong with the big races that provide all of those things. In fact, I've done races where they have the courses on, is on your phone, on GPS tracking, and, you, and you're, you know exactly where you are. And that's, that's fine. There's, there's a place for that. Uh, but then there's a place, I think, for what, for what we do, too. And so we do it on purpose. And people call me or send me emails, and I need a course profile, and I need a map, and have that so well, how am I gonna 
how am I going to do this? How am I going to train those? Do you trust me or do you not trust me? And if they don't trust me, then they can, there's other races that they can go to. And you offer camping. Why do you have that? Well, I just said, because I used that's to go the to tribal, races in the 90s. That's the tribal experience. I used to just go and sleep on the ground. And, yeah. and, and, and seriously, this again is going to sound like esoteric and corny, but I believe that it's important for us to have a physical, an actual physical connection to the dirt. Lay in the dirt. Sleep <laughs> on the ground. Get dirty. Get up in the morning and run on that ground and then come back and sleep on that ground again. It's a great experience. People that come to races and go stay at the embassy suites or Hilton or whatever, you're just missing it. You're missing a big component of it. Hmm. I think that to fully experience it, you completely immerse yourself in it. And that's part of it, I believe, is sleeping on the ground. I sleep on the ground, but I also sleep in my, my motorhome sometimes too. <laughs> That's your upgraded yeah. version. But it, it's, it's just another way of thinking about it and presenting it. And um, Not everybody appreciates what, what I do, but a hell of a lot of people do. Absolutely. And they come. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I was at your first born to run, and one of the things I remember significantly, and I still to this day have a collection of them, is the amulets, what you give right. to the athletes when they finish the race. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, my friend Akabil, um, I met in the early 2000s. Now I remember now, I started coaching in 2001, not mm. 2011. Um, so I've run the Hurt 100 a few times too. And so Akabil is from Oahu and he is a ceramicist, uh, pottery and, and jewelry. And so he would make these amulets, little necklaces, and he would bring them here to the mainland to give away to his friends. And they have a little symbol on it. It's uh, Kukini is the symbol, and the Kukini is a Hawaiian running man. So it's a little petroglyph that's carved in the rocks in the mountains above, uh, you know, above uh, Honolulu. And so that is the symbol of the Hurt 100, and that is the symbol of the state parks in uh, oh, Hawaii. Wow. And that is the symbol that, uh, that's tattooed on my arm. And that's the symbol that, um, that Aka put on those amulets, Kukini. And so when we did the Born to Run for the first time um, in 2011, of course, invited him. He's a good friend. And he came and he brought a, a bag full of those amulets. And we gave them to runners. And it's become a tradition. Aka Bill died uh, three years ago, I guess it is now. And so we still have amulets of some form. Um, our friend Tracy Thomas makes some for us. But also the, our Tarahumara friends from the Copper Canyons in Mexico, they make a form of an amulet, which they'll be bringing to our race this year too. And so that's kind of the story of that. Aka would put those around your neck. And he put one on my neck, and I would never take it off um, until it fell off. And, uh, or he would put a new one on me. And I, I, ne- I don't have one on me now because... It fell off, and I'm not going to put another one on because he's the one that puts them on me. Yeah. So absolutely, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my Aka story. I love it. He's dead somewhere, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's still around. I feel like he comes to the race. He came to everyone, and then uh, you know he passed away. I guess three years ago. So even though he's not there, it's, it feels like he is. Yeah. That's what fun. are you doing with these athletes that are running the zero point zero? Well, um, they are polished, fine-tuned instruments. Uh, They are athletes, for sure. Uh, They come at noon on um, Saturday, and it's 0.0 kilometers. 
that they do. They uh, they come and we read their names and they stand on the starting line and they have a bib number on and um, we play some music and we celebrate their athleticism. And then uh, we say, ready, set, don't go. We <laughs> shoot a gun and then they they don't have to pick up a beer and drink it, but it's better if they do. And then they wander away. Excellent. And that's it. And do they get a shirt? Do they, they get, get a shirt? A shirt and okay. they get a bib number. And honestly, we started that as a joke uh, five years ago, and I just put it on the registration as just as a joke. Uh, it's like forty-five dollars to do zero point zero, and. 65 people registered. Right, exactly. <laughs> and people were emailing me and saying... Why was it sold out? Well, they were saying, uh, Lewis, uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. I can't come. Can I do it virtually? I'm like, wait a minute. Are you telling me you're going to pay me $45 to not come to a race? Yeah. All right. I will mail you a T-shirt <laughs> and a bid number. And then what they were doing is, we have a very active Facebook page. We have like uh, more than, uh, close to 7,000 people, I think, on that page. So what people do is at noon on Saturday, wherever they are in the world, they put on their shirt and their bib number, and they put their iPhone, and they do a live or pictures of themselves on their couch eating a burrito. And, yeah, and drinking a PBR, <laughs> and, uh, and that's how they participate. Mm -hmm. And I say, great. After all these years, can you think of an individual who you feel has inspired you the most in your professional career, running inclusive of photography? I mean, is there somebody who sort of stands out to you, race directing even? You know, I, I feel like I'm always name dropping, but for sure, Scott has been a great inspiration to me. Watching him as a person, as an athlete, Scott Jurek, seven-time winner of Western States 100. He's won Badwater. He's won everything. everything. And uh, the undisputed champion of the world, kind of. But he's an incredible athlete, but he's just a, he's an incredible person. Mm. He's a good father. He's a good husband. He's just a good dude. And so I've been fortunate enough to to watch his career and photograph him many, many times and, and just watch him do the amazing things that he's done. And so, yeah, he's been a great inspiration to me as a, as a runner and as a person. And having him as a friend makes it hard to, um, to quit. You know, Tahoe 200 was out there for 92 hours and he was there helping me out, him and his wife, Jenny. And um, there were times when I just like, man, I cannot do this. I cannot stay awake. I cannot keep moving. I am done. I'm out. This is stupid. I'm going home. And then, you know, and he shows up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, I guess I'm not quitting. I guess I am going to continue this thing. And so, yeah, I got through that because of my wife, Beverly, and, and, and Jenny and Scott. Couldn't have done it without them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm very curious what your day in and day out life looks like because I just know you professionally and you know as a friend and you've been a coach and you know we have that kind of relationship. But what what are daily rituals looking like for you these days? Well, it, it's my my life is is awesome because it's it's always different. There's always something new, and I I make a conscious effort to try to get myself into different situations and try to get on trips to go traveling and taking my camera and my 
my running and, and using it as a vehicle to get to different places. But um, every day, first thing I do is I write a list hmm. every single day. And to do look list? Around my, yeah. Okay. I, when I wake up, I guess when I go to bed, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? What's the first thing I'm going to do tomorrow? And then how is that going to impact what I do next, next, next? And then I get up every morning and I write down a list on a piece of paper. And um, I carry that around with me, or it's on my desk right now, and I, and I cross those things off as I go. And then if I don't accomplish it today, it goes on the list for tomorrow. And so on that list is, is everything that I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to, um, sometimes my wife's like, you're, gonna, you're writing down that you're going to move the truck? Yeah, yeah I'm going to move the truck. <laughs> because if I move the truck, then I need Thank to move, you, move the motor home. So everything relates to, to this list. And so I'm a big list writer. And that, I think that goes with goals too, you know, with little things saying, you know, you got to write it down. It's got to be reasonable yeah. and it's got to be written and then, and then, then you can accomplish it. So that's the first thing I do is make a list and then, uh, and then do you go on about your day, attack the day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then mark things off as I go. And, um, I keep a calendar, um, on my phone and my, all my computers, everything's, you know, connected. And so, um, every, every hour of my day is really pretty much scripted. Wow. And so I just go through it. Being here with you today was. It's fascinating to hear this. I would have never thought either of those things because you're very wild and free, and this is very structured. I'm hearing structure from Luis Escobar. Uh, It's refreshing, actually. Samantha, some of that is is a character. Um, When you keep going back to Born to Run, but people see me, and I'm wearing a cowboy hat, I'm carrying a beer around, I'm being wild, and it seems like it's like I'm out of control. That's a character. I'm very much in Today control. you're wearing a sports coat, a, a sports coat yeah. and a button-up. You look yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, no, I, you, I, I have to have some kind of structure because I've got a lot of stuff going on. Got a lot of plates are spinning in the air. Yeah. When you don't have a real job. You just got like you're doing what you can do. <laughs> you, there's a lot of stuff going around. You have a real job. You have three real jobs. Yeah. That's the reality of it. Yeah, self-employment is a whole other mm-hmm. world. Yeah, and then and then throw running in, onto it. So I, I I'm trying to create these running events and trying to you know pay the bills with my photography work, but then I want to run too. So there's Perfect. that. So I mean I write that down. I'm going to run today, and I put the time of day. You're an athlete in training. I mean, Hard Rock's no joke. Hard Rock is no joke. Mm-hmm. This is the most challenging hundred mile race um, in the country. It's in the San Juans, very very steep mountains, high altitude. You know, it's extreme, and so I'm scared. And so that's inspired me to uh, get back in the gym. I've been working out a little bit nice. uh, with my, my friend, my trainer, Mark Gatson, and I've been running as much as I can. Some days I'm able to get out there twice, a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon, um, trying to squeeze in some long stuff. And um, I plan to, in July, stagger into Silverton, <laughs> wild and Trained and ready to dance with ready the Ready to Lons. rumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. The beauty in the not knowing and taking the risk, that's the good stuff. I love that. Yeah, the risk is, uh, yeah, if you don't risk anything, you don't get anything. Mm-hmm. So you got to throw it out there every now and then, see what that's happens. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Luis Escobar for carving out so much of his time today and allowing us to record in his reflection studio. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Endurance Town USA, brought to you by our friends at Race Roster. 
Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We'll catch you next time. Travel to Endurance Town, USA. Bring it back.